Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcasting Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Hey, everyone. It's Chris here. Just got a little admin, a little uh, warning, a little apology for you at the beginning of the show. Um, So peek behind the curtain of Now and Again. Now and Again was conceptualized in June of this year. I rounded up a couple of friends who I want to record with, Nico specifically. I went to Joey of Cage Club, uh, whose podcast I had guests on a couple of times, and I pitched it to him. This, in addition to episode one, were proof of concept episodes, basically, to show that uh, it's worthwhile and people might want to actually listen to this. So what you're going to hear is like one of the first recordings of Now and Again, uh, before I knew what the hell I was doing. And because of that, it doesn't sound great. It doesn't. I've heard worse podcasts out there, but um, it's certainly not these sexy, dulcet NPR tones. It's a little tinny. It's a little raw. The uh, conversations tend to drift a little bit. We didn't quite have the pacing of the show down yet. There's a lot of good stuff in here, I promise. Uh, if you've ever heard me talking to Joey before, you know that uh, there's some good conversation to be had. So apologies for the sound. No apologies for the quality of the content. Next month, we will be back sounding as good as ever. Uh, Enjoy the show. It's winter of 1999. It's the hottest winter recorded in the United States. Napster is sued for copyright infringement. And Beanie Babies are the hot Christmas gift. And this is Now and Again, Volume 3, Side A. Please play this song on the radio. Please play this song on the radio. Uh, with us today, our guest is the man in charge of the Cage Club Podcasting Network, uh, a man who did it all for the nookie, Joey Lewandowski. Well, I would just like to say thank you for having me, but also one of two. It's me and Mike Manzi, who might be on this at one point or another. Absolutely. It's really, my brainchild and his brainchild together. So I, as much as I appreciate all the credit, I want to make sure he gets his due as well. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the Cage Club Network? So about a year ago, actually, like, you know, within a week of a year ago when we were recording this podcast, so early June 2015, uh, Best Buy had a sale on Nicolas Cage movies, and I spent like $100, and I got like 12 of them, and that got me up to about 40 of the 80 owned, and I posted on Facebook, I was just like, look at this great thing that I just did, and somehow, I don't know why, but Mike Mamsey was like, hey, you know, I, I would be interested in doing something with that, so he and I over the next month after that, went out and bought all the Nicolas Cage movies. And so he and I, between August and January, did three a week. We did three, in chronological order, three Nicolas Cage movies, watched each one, recorded a podcast about it, wrote a blog review of each. That's all on cageclub.me. And then when that ended, we were just like, oh man, it's sort of boring not doing like 25 hours worth of work a week. Uh, So we decided to go to Keanu. And then as we were doing Keanu, Chris here and uh, Christian Larson came up with Monkey Club, and I also started Zach Attack, and we have, you know, it's just like this little podcast network of just, you know, my friends and I, the stuff that we're into that we like would t- be talking about anyway, we just might as well record it and then spend lots of our time editing those conversations and putting yeah. them out for people to listen to. Uh, I'm glad for your own mental health you scaled it back a little bit, but uh, man, the quality and the quantity are both uh, awesome. Well, thank you. And I mean, you were on several episodes as well. So if you love Chris on this show, I implore you to go back and listen to the Pay the Ghost episode and other episodes. What other movies did you do with us? I did Bad Lieutenant. You did. Oh, right. One of our like top three probably movie that Cage has ever done. And probably and, uh, one of the best podcasts that we did. And the one that's not Ghost Rider, but is totally Ghost Rider. 
Oh, oh, Drive Angry. Yes, yes, that's it. So, yeah, we're on now, volume three. Uh, it's summer of 1999. Whew. So, where are you in your life, Joey? So, summer of 99, I was between fifth and sixth grades. Uh, I have the distinct privilege of being the last fifth grade class in my school district's history to ever be at the middle school. Uh, we were, this is boring to everyone, including myself, but we were, uh, our school was growing at such a rate that they had to build like an intermediate school, which was going to be like third through fifth grades or something. And so we were the last fifth grade class, the last class to ever go fifth through eighth grade. So I'm between that. I'm still, you know, I'm on the verge of becoming the youngest kid in school again, you know, two years in a row, we're low oh, on the totem pole. And, you know, it's, it's the summer where, Probably playing a lot of N64, probably, you know, watching TRL a lot. That's sort of my summers back then, playing baseball. It's just sort of, you know, it's memories. The internet hasn't completely taken over our brains just yet. Right. Um, it's there. I'm sure I'm playing a lot of StarCraft and Diablo. Sure. Points. Um, uh, I'm also, I realize that I'm kind of hitting the point right now in my life where I'm starting to like music that isn't just stuff that my parents listen to or isn't just stuff on the radio. I have a very clear memory of around this time, um, summer of 99, I would be between seventh and eighth grade. Uh, and I remember owning uh, one of the, uh, one of, an album by one of the bands that we're going to talk about. And uh, it was thanks to my cousin. He played me one of their albums while we were playing Magic Gathering up in his bedroom. And uh, oh. And that started me off on buying music for myself that wasn't just stuff on the radio. So um, this is kind of a pinnacle point in my, my music history. Um, so I'm pretty excited to talk about it because um, it's, it's, really it's really a turning point for me. And a lot of this stuff, a lot of this stuff brings back memories. A lot of it, uh, I have no idea. I had no idea what it was then and I have no idea what it is now. <laughs> uh, we might not have gotten, you may have come on for a pretty bad now. Um, I would say maybe front to back, this is the worst one so far. But hey, that's, uh, I mean, you're probably used to doing some bad movies. Well, this is one, this is, what's weird about this is that this was the first now that I had. Um, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't remember buying music for myself. I think this was something that probably my parents bought us. Uh, probably, you know, CD collection that me and my sister or my sister and I split. Uh, I remember having three, five, and seven. And I remember looking at this for some reason, I don't know why. And I don't know why my OCD didn't like require me to have all the like fill in the gaps. Yeah. But I remember we had three, five, and seven. I remember looking at the the track listing for this one when you started up the podcast. I was like, oh, this is the one I want to do. And then as soon as I started watching the music videos for this, I was like, oh, like after like track like seven or eight, there's like it's a, it's a dead zone. And even the ones before that, like the things, the, the songs that I know, they're not great. And you know, lo- looking at now two. You sent me that terrific TV commercial for Now Two. It's like the same artists that were on Now Three, but like they're the bigger and better songs. So just like, hey, Britney Spears and the Backstreet Boys are still big, but like here's slightly worse songs for them. So it's it's weird that you know if I if I looked right, I think this is like the second Now to come out that year. I think like Two came out in '99, maybe. Yeah, they. To come out in 99, um, they start on a pace not long after this, if not this year, where they're doing three a year. Ugh. Yeah, it's a little, it's, it's a little much, um, but... Because there's not that much good music. No, but even without that, there's still definitely some stuff that are baffling emissions to the, the, now, the now discography. Though I guess a lot of that comes down to uh, record label rights and things like that that we could never possibly understand. 
this, I was looking up on Wikipedia, the Wikipedia entry for this one, at least, I don't know if they're for all of them, but like, it's basically bare. I mean, it's just pretty much just a track listing, and that's the entire article. But I did notice that it said that this went double platinum, which means this sold 2 million copies, which is incredible considering no like no actual music sells any any copies of anything now and so just to have like a, a, a mishmash of you know 18 or whatever how many songs are on here just random you know chart topping hits with some glaring omissions it's 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 nuts yeah to put it into perspective it's like this this mixtape this compilation is selling in 1999 what like Adele and Taylor Swift is selling is selling now if they're lucky, right? Which and is, no, and nobody else is cuckoo bananas. That that's I mean that's where music was. You couldn't just get every song you wanted at your fingertips, and that's why this stuff was so important, um, and and why it sold so well. And the first song we're going to talk about was "Goddamn Everywhere" in '99. Yeah. It's "All Star" by Smash Mouth. Now everyone's got it in their head, and I'm sorry. What's really kind of coincidental, I don't want to say it's weird, but this song still hasn't gone away. And I was at a AAA baseball game a week ago, not to brag, but I was at a AAA baseball game, and this song came on the stadium loudspeakers, and there was a dad with a kid who must have been like five or six, and the dad probably, you know, our age, and he's singing along, like trying to, like, I guess, trying to impress his son. And it made me so angry because he was like doing it in a way that like he's like, hey, look how cool I am. I know all the lyrics to Smash Mouth's All Star. And, you know, that might have been cool in 1999. But after you heard the song for probably like the third time in 45 minutes on the radio, it's it's just painful. Like it's, whew. You would hear it in movie trailers for uh, Shrek movies. And the video has uh, cameos by the, the Mystery Men. If you remember that movie. Yeah, I remember that movie. This is, like, I didn't know, was this, was this song, like, not written for that movie? But, like, how that, do you know anything about that? Um, from what I understand, it was on the Smash Mouth album, um, and it just got used for that movie first, and then it was everywhere, and every movie used it, and every TV show used it, and it's, um, it's, I don't, I don't understand it. It's, and I guess I could see what you're saying about, and why it's showing up in Shrek, and why, like, uh, a father would sing to their kids. It's like very close to being a kid song. It's got that catchy little hook. Uh, it's it's got you can do it positivity lyrics. <laughs> Everyone gets a ribbon kind of the song. Yeah, but it's. I mean, revisiting it now with all of those years between how ubiquitous this song was, and I mean now where it's like I guess uh, kind of a maybe not a footnote in pop culture history, but maybe an actual note. Um, what was it like to revisit it? It reminds me, I just heard another podcast talking about the song One Week by Bare Naked Ladies. It kind of reminds me of that, where it's just like a song that you can't escape. And it's kind of, I don't know if fun is the right word, because I don't think it's fun to revisit this song, but it sort of brings you back to a time where everybody knew this song and everybody, to some extent, probably liked this song. I don't think you can really, I don't think there's anything to hate about this other than it just being overplayed. Like, it's not, you know, a great song. It's not anything super special. It's just, it's just sort of poppy nothingness. It's kind of like cotton candy. And it's not bad. It's just tired. And just because I've heard it probably more than, I don't know, maybe the rest of the songs on this album combined, like, it's just, it's just you can't escape it. 
Yeah, I remember Smash Mouth getting big with Walking on the Sun first. And that was just a song that uh, sounded different than everything else that was on the radio. So I think that drew people's eyes to Smash Mouth. And then this just got licensed by everything. And uh, I mean, it was all, I was going to say it was all gravy for Smash Mouth from there, but I, I don't think there was, there wasn't a lot left in that tank. They burned out early. <laughs> the lead singer is Mark McGrath, right? Is that right? No, Steve. No. Something. Mark McGrath is Sugar Ray. No. Well, whoever this guy is, he kind of looks like Guy Fieri a little bit, maybe. Oh my God, I made that note too. I said that he looks like the middle Pokemon evolution. Um, <laughs> who pukes all over the place and stand by me. And then this guy, and then Guy Fieri. That's the evolution. That's pretty spot on. And he loves, like, in the video, he just loves mugging for the camera. Like, the whole thing, for some reason, is him going around, like, saving people. Like, there's, like, a Miss America pageant winner or something trapped under a bus. There's, like, a kitten in a burning house. Yeah. And he's going around saving everyone, literal save the cat moments. And instead of doing his thing, he's, like, you know, singing for the camera and, like, mugging for the camera. It's just like, well, dude, you know, if you're going to save these lives, get the work done and then mug in between. Yeah, he's constantly pulling his sunglasses down, like, it's a living, as he goes <laughs> and, like, runs into a burning building, and then ladies flock to him. Um, he also does, I noticed he does uh, a lot of rap hands, which is interesting, considering this is not a rap song. He's yeah. doing a lot of mean mugging at the camera and throwing his, throwing his hands out at it during the performance parts. What's also kind of, I don't want to say, it's not interesting, but the first three songs, at least, on this playlist of videos that you put together for me to watch... They all have the band performing the song. And I was wondering if that's like a thing that like was ubiquitous. You know what I mean? Like, the, there's, like this, there's this narrative of him going around town saving people, but the music video still feels the need to cut back. Like, hey guys, these guys play their instruments. Trust us. Like, don't worry about it. But then once we get into, you know, not to give some spoilers, but like Enrique Iglesias and Britney Spears, who really have no interest in playing instruments, they're just singers that sort of goes away. But like, I don't know. It just, it's, it's a weird kind of thing that let's show the band playing their instruments because they're, they're actual musicians, guys. Like, don't forget that. Yeah, and this was really the era where that was kind of going to stop. You got a lot of that in the 80s and the 90s where it would kind of just be a performance video. Uh, maybe it would have some kind of side story. The first thing that popped into my head was White Snake's Here I Go Again video, which is just them playing, but then the sexy girl dancing on top of the car. Like, we just cut between that. And you didn't have to have a whole lot of story in videos. And grunge kind of added some of that. But now we're getting to the point where image is everything because videos and TRL is so huge. Right. That bands like, say, um, Fastball, like, they're not going to survive the MTV wave that's coming because they're not marketable faces. And that's a shame. And that's something that you definitely notice watching all the videos for these songs is that they all, aside from the fact that they're all like super 90s, they're all like, I think they're all 90s because they all have like this image. Like when we get to the Backstreet Boys video, they're all like in these matching uniforms, these matching outfits, they all have these hats. And you know, even if they're not necessarily selling a product, they're selling an image, they're selling, you know, whatever it is that their manager wants them to sell. And yeah, I mean, like a, a band like Fastball, who has one of the more listenable songs on this entire, now that's what I call music. Absolutely. It, I mean, they're buried. They're the last song on here. Like if you get to them, like congratulations that you got through like the, the back half, the R and B slot sludge of the second half of the album. But like, you know, it's like, Hey, this is a big song, but like you probably don't care about it. So we're going to bury it at the end. Yeah. And it's a shame. And I mean, I was mentioning that uh, I was kind of discovering my own music. A lot of that, what I was discovering was, um, 
I don't want to say punk. I would eventually discover punk through this kind of music. A lot of ska. Some, uh, I mean, I'll just say, I'll spoil who's going to be on here. Blink-182 is going to be on here. And one of those first albums I heard in that bedroom was Do Ranch by Blink-182. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, that would kind of be this rallying cry for, like, three years down the line, like, sophomore year of high school. Uh, me, who's taking very seriously, like, this idea of punk rock and, like, oh, you have to have an image to get on MTV and pop music is garbage because they don't let the 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 artists really be themselves and they don't give everyone a chance. And, like, it's true, kind of, but... I mean, not, that stuff was never going to get played on MTV anyway. Um, right. So, I mean, and, and I'll talk about as as the episodes go on, kind of how I found music to not be really serious. But yeah, we're, I like we're hitting that point where you have to market the band and not just the music. And and yeah, you know, it is a bit of a shame. I don't really have like a point to follow that up, but I guess this is I should mention. I meant to mention this earlier that I'm still at a point in my life in 1999 where I don't really like I'm into music, but I'm just into. Like, I don't know if you remember, you were, you were in New Jersey at the time? Yep, sure was. So you remember PST? PST. 97.5 PST radio station, or no? Maybe um, Did you I was listening to a lot of C100 and, like, mm. 104.3, because, like I said, a lot of it was either, if I was in the car with my mom, it would be, like, she'd let me listen to my stuff, and that'd be Z100. Because even, like, before this, you're getting, like, No Doubt, and you're getting um, some, Nir- maybe not Nirvana at this point, but you're getting No Doubt and stuff like that. Um, if I was with my dad, it'd be classic rock. So no, I don't know 95.7. 97.5 PST, and that became 94.5 PST. They were just, it was just, you know, basically top 40 radio, and they would have a countdown every week, and it was just pretty much all these songs, and that was all that we really listened to. And so I didn't really get into discovering my own music or figuring out what I really liked, you know, deciding for myself instead of letting the radio decide for me what I liked until college, really, wow. which, which is really late, I know. Um, but even now, like, there, there's a stretch where, you know, thanks to friends in school, and then honestly because of, like, rock band and guitar hero and, like, being exposed to this whole world of music that I didn't really know existed, there was a stretch where I was, like, really into music. But now, I mean, I still, obviously, I mean, it's the most boring thing in the world to say, but to say, like, I like music, but I don't really listen to that much music. I mostly, when I'm listening to things, it's mostly podcasts. I don't really spend a lot of time today listening to music. I mean, I know what I like and I go to shows and I go to festivals and stuff like that. But this was before my sort of explosion to the music world. And then currently in 2016, it's sort of afterwards. I don't know. It's, it's a, you know, I've, I've always liked music as interesting as that is, but I don't know. It just, this was definitely a period of my life where these are the songs that I was listening to. And, you know, I had a couple albums that I sort of tricked my mom into buying like uh, Daddy and the Family, oh, and, wow, nice. uh, a Sublime, and like you know, I, I, because I didn't really listen to any music other than this, she didn't know what that was, and there was no internet to really look that up, and so she just sort of trusted me, and I was just like, oh, cool, and then like once I had it, I was just like, eh, and whatever. Yeah, it's definitely I think for people around around our age, it's a it's a weird time because um, music itself is transitioning, and we're transitioning with it, and because we're hitting that age. Um, yeah. Do you have a, a good recollection of? Uh, Lenny Kravitz, American Woman. I remember the song from that time. I don't remember. I wrote down when I was watching the video. I don't know when I realized this was a cover. I think it took probably too long for me to realize that it was a cover. I also want to know if it's blasphemous to say that I think the cover is like, I don't know if it's better, but it's definitely more fun. Is that is that fair to say? Um, is it fair to say? I don't know. I think a cover... In my opinion, a cover 
should be familiar, but do something, bring something new to the table. And this really is kind of a, um, a dive bar cover of it, kind of just hitting all yeah. of the notes. I don't, I don't think it works especially well. I think Lenny Kravitz brings a charisma to the song that maybe the lead singer of the Guess Who did not have because Lenny Kravitz is a, a really charismatic guy and that comes through to his music. But it is it's still kind of vanilla musically. Vocally, it's good, I think. I don't know if it's necessarily... I, I don't know if it's good or unique, but I think he owns it. And I think it, yeah. I think it sort of becomes... I don't know if it's necessarily a better version, but I think more people know this than the original. And maybe it's just because it's more recent. I don't think it's just the recency effect, though. I think this is like... I think he's made this his song. And not through any, you know good or, you know, worthwhile reason, I think. I mean, maybe maybe that's just where I... It, this is one of those things where I don't know, maybe... I, I'm not sure if everybody thinks the way that I think or if this is sort of like a... Like a me against the world situation, but I think that this is definitely one where it's... To me, this is his song. But I also, like, I've only heard the Guess Who song a handful of times. This was also big at the time we're talking about, uh, and the first three songs uh, will all be songs that uh, maybe not the third one, actually, but the first two songs uh, are songs that were big on movie soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you recognize Heather Graham in the video, but... Uh, oh, I recognize Heather Graham in the video because Heather Graham is one of my, like, all-time top five movie crushes. Like, she is just beautiful. I'm, I'm so in love with her, and I'm just like, why is she in this? Austin I, Powers, too. Yeah, I had to dig into that. Be like, oh, okay, that's a thing now. And so I realized, I'm like, are all the songs on this album just going to be songs from movies? And no, that's not. <laughs> No, no, not all of them. Um, but, yeah, Heather Graham, Heather Graham never really struck me as a... I, I joked before about... Um, and maybe this is why I thought of it subconsciously, the, the White Snake video, where I believe that was Tony Katane is dancing on the, on the car being a real sex bomb. Heather Graham never crossed me uh, as, as that kind of a... I mean, she's beautiful, don't get me wrong, but she's just not like a video babe which I think is a compliment in a weird, maybe backhanded way. I think the problem is that like Lenny Kravitz is kind of in a sense, like a beautiful man, you know what I mean? And like, and it's, and it's not like, it's sort of like he's the video babe almost, you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. not only the performer, but he's also like, Hey guys, like look at me. And I don't really think I knew anything about him other than he was the guy who was with Denise from the Cosby show back yeah. in 1999. Um, but you know, I, I can sort of see that, like, you know, if you have a band like Smash Mouth, who are just a bunch of schlubby guys you don't want to look at, mm-hmm. you put Heather Graham in there and just, like, sex her up. But here, you know, Lenny Kravitz is probably, to some extent, being like, no, let's keep the camera on me because, like, I'm the real talent here. Yeah, even the giant, like, desert crowd that he's performing to in the video, those people are not going crazy and dancing. They all look like they're paid to be there. They're really letting Lenny and his band own the stage. Yeah. The whole time I was watching this video, I, I, I couldn't stop thinking this is, I don't know why, maybe just because, but like, it, it, we, we should probably talk about his Pierce Dick, right? That flopped out a year or two ago. <laughs> oh man, I totally forgot about that. I have seen Lenny Kravitz's penis, yeah. Yeah, and like, it's, uh, it's Pierce, right? Or like, I don't remember, I remember um, seeing it, and then I remember, I mean, I could Google it. I don't really want to Google it, but I can. I think that has to go in the show notes. Lenny Kravitz Dick. It's a, it's, it's a, I don't know if it's pierced or not. There may be, I can't really tell. 
I'll let you decide. We, we, we report, you decide. Yeah, he's, um, you know, based on that picture, he's got a pretty, uh, pretty ripping dick. And speaking of that, there are quite a few ripping nips in this video, too. This is, uh, all of these videos, it surprised me how many videos are uh, just focused on, like, cleavage at this time. Well, this is also a time, uh, we're, and we're going to get into it, I think, in a big one when we get to Britney, but, like, this is a time where we're, like, sort of beginning to sexualize everyone. And I think, as you talked about in the first episode of the show, uh, we're just a couple years away from Nipplegate, right? And so, like, we're in this sort okay. of explosion of, it's not even, like, softcore, it's just, like, it's, like, before softcore, it's just, like, you know, you have all these beautiful young people, like, desperately trying to be sexy and, like, trying to figure out what's okay to show on TV. And so there's a lot of cleavage, there's a lot of abs, there's a lot yeah. of just like, you know, body parts accentuated that now, you know, it's, it, it's just sort of weird to look back in retrospect. Yeah, my parents really didn't like me watching MTV, not now, but when I was uh, younger, like during the grunge times, during Beavis and Butthead, they didn't like me watching MTV. It's really now that they, if they were upset about like the, the human body, this is the time they should not have let me watch MTV. There must have been so many sexual awakenings that occurred while just watching some music videos. Even the All-Star video had just, like, babes for no reason. Um, almost all of these videos um, that we're going to talk about kind of do just have, hey, you know, here's the curvy lady. Yeah, I remember, I was not allowed to watch MTV growing up. I don't remember when that changed. I remember being able to watch TRL. Like, I remember looking forward to TRL every day. I don't know when that changed, but I think MTV was just, like, this beacon of, like, questionable content for parents who didn't know enough and when they you know i guess i don't know cause you're right like i remember very vividly and i'm surprised that i don't think it's on any of the now ones but you know tom green the bum bum song you know that is just the, the peak of like stupidity and everything and i remember being able to watch that so i don't know what questionable content i was being sheltered from leading up to that point or leading up to the point where women are grinding on ricky martin's body you know what i mean it's just yeah I don't, I don't know what was so bad before, you know, Kurt Cobain wearing plaid and just like shred. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I'm being sheltered from. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense why in the early to mid '90s my parents wouldn't let me let me watch MTV when it didn't get really. I guess we had some stuff like um, Wicked Games by um, is that Chris Isaac, I think. Oh, you mean Wicked Game that's in three different Nicolas Cage movies? You would know. Um, that's, that's a video that's just like pure sex and that's early 90s but I think that was the exception I think there was a lot more like gross dudes in flannel at the time it's really now when like I said as it, it starts to be image over substance sometimes well do you think that that's a function of the era like do you think that's like you know late 90s versus early 90s do you think like, okay so maybe it's all just one point that I'm trying to make one way or the other but like did we get to a point where we created these pop stars or was it these pop stars that came around and created the image? Like, cause at this time we have Britney, we have Christina, we're going to have Mandy Moore. We're going to have Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and 98 degrees. And we have all these like, you know, beautiful young people that they want to show off something. Like did we create them or did they just come along and create the image? I'm going to guess we can trace this back to Madonna. Because when she first came out, she was not over-sexualized. You know, people are, you know, you could, people had a problem with, like, the Like a Prayer video, but I think that was more for the religious imagery than everything else. Okay. Once she became Madonna, um, and she was able to do her own thing, 
she started doing a lot of the the S and M really sexual stuff. And I wonder if this is both a response and a continuation of it. Because as we'll talk about later, a lot of the times these don't quite know what to do uh, when the person that they want to sexualize is the the performer. The videos have a lot of trouble with that. But let's save that for when we get to uh, Miss Britney Spears. Yeah, coming up soon, but not yet. Side note, um, thinking about it now, looking back, uh, is Austin Powers funny? Okay, so the, I don't. That's a good question. I think in my mind, Austin Powers gets lumped in with all those movies like Borat that everybody quoted to the point of nauseam. Ooh, that's a good point. Whether or not they're funny is sort of irrelevant now. They're all terrible artifacts of, of of a bygone era. Where I watched the Ali G show before Borat became a thing, and I remember loving, like, I mean, I remember loving Borat and Bruno, and then, like, popular culture took it and just sort of bastardized it. And, like, Austin Powers was one of those movies where I had to watch at a friend's house because I wasn't able to watch at home, and I remember liking it because it was sort of the thrill of seeing something I shouldn't see. But I also remember watching it, and even, like, in that age range where I was 11, 12, whatever, being like, oh, this is, this is stupid, I was a big fan of the first Awesome Powers, and if I went back and watched it, I would think it would hold up, because that's a pretty good send-up of spy movies. I think the second one, and especially the third one, kind of, like you're saying, it got into its own mythos almost. Like It, it, it realized the, the pop culture wave it created and wrote it to negative effect. I never saw the third one. I don't even know. I know I saw the first one. I'm pretty sure I saw the second one. But it's also one of those things where just like, I don't... I don't care. Like there's, there was, a, there was. A, I guess this is also a time in my life where I'm beginning to start hating things that everybody else loves, which, mm-hmm. in yeah. a way, was a good thing that I, I wasn't, you know, I was able to sort of make my own choices. But it also, in terms of like movies, like that also led me to down a path where I would ultimately avoid every Judd Apatow movie because everybody, like, if I if I never hear someone say, you know, how I know you're gay, yeah. like, and I remember like everybody and just. You know, people whose opinions I respected, but also just like all douchey frat bros and everybody quoting that movie and being like, oh, I want nothing to do with that. Like yeah. everything with Judd Apatow, everything with, you know, Seth Rogen, everything with Ben, not not Ben Stiller necessarily, but, you know, Vince Vaughn, all those movies. I'm just like, oh, like I don't want any of this. And so I missed out on some good stuff, but I also saved some of my brain cells, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, we were just talking about how, like, our parents wouldn't let us uh, watch certain things. And maybe now is when they should have been more vigilant. I, I just realized that if this was for Austin Powers 2 and we're in the summer of 99, my birthday just passed. I mean, that, that birthday this year, 1999, my parents took me and, like, six friends to go see Austin Powers 2 on opening <laughs> weekend. That's definitely my birthday that year. Uh, that, that's a weird memory that I just had and completely had forgotten about until this time. Because that's the power of music, the power of the show. I only had one birthday party at a movie theater, and I was actually thinking about it while I was watching these videos because the movie we saw was sort of similar to one of the songs we're talking about at the very end, a song that maybe could have been on but wasn't. Spoiler alert for the very end of the second part of this podcast, but Vertical Horizon, Everything You Want. I saw Vertical Limit, which I don't remember anything about. It was some mountain climbing movie or something, and I think I might have fallen asleep in theaters, 
That was definitely might be. I don't even know. Is that a skydiving movie or a rock climbing movie? Oh, I have no idea. Let me. I'm gonna look it up right now. It came out in 2000. Um, I don't know. I think I'm thinking of something with um, what's his name from Two and a Half Men? What's that guy's name? Charlie Sheen. I don't think I'm thinking of the same thing. A climber must rescue his sister on top of K2, one of the world's biggest mountains. So not cliffhanger. Not cliffhanger. And it came out in December 2000. So a year after Now 3 came out, I had my birthday seeing Vertical Limit. And a movie birthday is like sort of weird. I guess it's sort of the same thing, you know, a little bit older when you're in high school or whatever, you have like a movie date. Like it's, again, you're with people you sort of want to spend time with, but like you can't talk to them. Like it's just like a weird, weird situation. Yeah, I love the opinion that a, a dinner and a movie is not a good date or movie and dinner, depending on the order you do it. It's definitely not a good first date. Maybe like a second or third date. Who knows? Have you done the dinner movie first date before? No. What have I done? I I've did, done it. I did... Once. One girl in high school, I went to... A, like the first time we really hung out, we went to a movie. And then we like walked around the mall afterwards. So we sort of had that situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's weird though. It is weird. Because you want to... Hmm, save dinner and a movie for like when you're tired of talking to them. I, I have a distinct memory of taking a girl in my senior year of high school on a crib and junior year. No, it was senior um, to Spider-Man two and coffee at a Barnes and Noble. Ooh, how romantic. Not a good date. Not a good date. Even um, though it's probably the best Spider-Man movie. I was going to say at the time it was probably the best comic book movie that wasn't maybe blade Two. But anyway, speaking of movies, I, I for a second thought that this song was an American pie. That was a different song off this album. Uh, this song is Blink 182's What's My Age Again? What did you think of this song going back to? And were you a fan of Blink 182 at the time that they were big? Like right around, right around now, they're running around naked. <laughs> they're wacky dudes, they're wacky brats, and uh, what'd you think of them? They're talking to the nurse who's on the cover of this album. Yes, more tits for the video. I don't remember, I don't think I've ever listened to a Blink 182 album from start to finish. I was never really into them. I remember liking this song. This is the first of the three videos that I actively remember seeing on TV. I think because it's so memorable. I mean, Smash Mouth's All-Star is just, it's just whatever, and Lenny Carpenter's just rocking out on stage. This one's just three naked dudes running around town getting into trouble. I don't remember if because it was like controversial or just because it was funny. I don't remember why I remember it. This, I liked it back then. I still like it now. I mean, it's, it's sort of a nothing song. I mean, if you want to get deeper into it and about, you know, growing up and stuff like that, but it just, it just, I, I like it. It's a fun song, I think. I, I like that riff that starts the song. Um, I like the harmonies at the end, especially considering um, at least one of the dudes in this band could not sing. They always manage <laughs> pretty decent harmonies for their albums. I think Mark Hoppus is a, is a, a really good pop punk songwriter, and I think that still holds up to this day. Um, I think he just knows how to put four chords and the catchy melody together really, really well. Uh, and Travis Barker, this was his first album with the band, and he is, I think he's a really good drummer. And yeah, this, this, this video and this song were a big deal to me because I think at this time, if you liked rock music, you had two choices, uh, or else you were stuck with you know the TRL, boy bands, Britney, Christina kind of stuff. You could go with pop punk, and you could like Blink-182, or you could be like, and we'll talk about this later, you could be a family values tour kind of kind of kid. And the songs like What's My Age Again, I like, kind of more spoke to that kind of pop punk ska. Uh, I was starting to get into the Ramones at this point. Uh, and I was, you know, I was a 
bratty punk kid. In <laughs> years, I would have Liberty Spikes and wear Converse's with Argyle socks and, and Dickie's shorts. Yeah, I, I chose the Blink-182 side. And, and looking back, I think this album of theirs is probably, I think it's easily their worst produced one. And I think it's overall one of their worst albums, even though it's the one that really blew them up and broke them. What's the name of the album that's designed? Enema of the State. Yeah. Yep. Was that, when did the movie Enemy of the State come out? The year before, probably? It had to be before this. Yeah, it was the year before. That came out in 98. So this is, you know, Blink-182's controversial follow-up to the Will Smith hit, <laughs> Enemy of the State. Yeah, it's a fine song. It's, it's You're right, it is a nothing song. You can laugh at it a little bit. Uh, they really did get kind of pigeonholed into being those, like, those brat kids probably a few years too deep into their 30s. Yeah, I remember, like, their songs, this is one of those bands that, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I've never listened to a full album of theirs, but because of rock band and stuff, I know their singles, just because of the radio, I know their singles. So songs like Damn It and stuff like that, like, I like those songs. Damn It is, a, I think, an undeniably great song. It's just this one, like, I feel like the whole thing with Now, I don't know if this is going to be deep or very shallow, but, like, the name Now, that's what they call music. I mean, the whole point is, like, to say, like, what's popular now, but, like, it's also pretty much just highlighting songs that are only going to be big now. Like it's, it's, they're not picking anything with like lasting substance. Um, and maybe that's just because the nineties were kind of a rough decade for music. Um, maybe between like Nirvana and Radiohead really taking off, there's not a lot that's sort of like a little bit of a wasteland or maybe that's just me not really knowing what music is from the nineties. I mean, there's stuff, there's alt stuff and we'll get to garbage in a little bit. And garbage was yeah in the nineties, but I feel like these songs that we've talked about already and that we're going to be talking about soon, they're, they're, they were obviously undeniable hits and they're all these songs that we still remember today and that, you know, in some weird, they're going to be like oldies that we're going to play. Who knows, you know? They don't mean anything. Like, there's no substance to anything that we've talked about yet. Pretty much. Um, as much as I think this is a fun song and uh, better than a lot of the blink rated 2 songs that we'll talk about on this podcast, which, I mean, maybe isn't saying a lot, yeah, I mean, if I heard this on the radio, I wouldn't turn it off. I could definitely sing all the lyrics to it, but that's there's a lot of embarrassing songs I could sing all the lyrics to. <laughs> ah, fuck that. I'm not embarrassed about the fact I know the words of the song. Fuck anyone who, who thinks I'm... Who thinks <laughs> less me for that? And you know, hell. They were very of their time, but I'm excited to hear... Uh, they've got a new album coming out soon, and I'm, uh, I've listened to every album they put out just because you know, I feel like I have some sort of loyalty to them. Sure. They pushed me in a direction where I'd start to like music for myself. And I'll always appreciate that. I might not go buy it. I might not go. I'm not going to see them live. They're playing here. Uh, I'm not going. But like, uh, I'll never poop poop Blink One Eighty Two just for that. Okay, so their their album is coming out in July first, and you know, or maybe it's out already because this isn't going to be out by July first. Yeah, that's true. But their album that came out in July first is their first since 2011, and only their second since 2003. So I mean, it's kind of a big deal that they're putting out a new album. I never, you know, I don't even think I've heard of Dude Ranch. I've heard of Enemy of the State. I don't know. I just, I guess I'm just not too familiar with Blink-182. I mean, you know them as these, like, wacky pranksters, kind of, beyond that. I don't really know them too well. They have had a, a rocky couple of years recently. Um, the, the guy, Tom, the guy with the higher-pitched voice, uh, who sings, like, all the small things, he left the band, and then Travis Barker was in that plane crash. Um, right. And they got back together, and then Tom went insane. And left. He like he's super into aliens and crystals now and stuff like that. They kind of kicked him out of the band and brought in someone from a band that I, I really like. Um, so I'm kind of I'm, I'm curious to see how they work with him. Blink 182 uh, is definitely a a marker in in my youth and my music history. I kind of want to go back and revisit Enema of the State, even though I'm pretty sure I'm not going to uh, 
have nearly the same feelings for it as I did as a 12, 13-year-old, but that's okay. Well, the good news about Blink-182 and sort of the whole pop-punk thing is that you can probably listen to one of these albums in about half an hour, because yeah. the songs are all like two or three minutes long. Like, I remember, then, I mean, this, is, this is before the era that we're talking about, but like the Donnas, like, I think their second album is like 19 minutes. Like It's like 11 songs, it's like 19 or 21 minutes. Like, it's, just, it's crazy. They're all like these super tight, super fast punk songs, and like it's over, and just... Like, I, I don't know why, but I just kind of love that. Like, you can listen to an entire album, you know, 11 songs, and be done, like, quicker than you can watch a sitcom. Like, it's just, it's just kind of cool. Yeah, the Ramones' greatest hits is, like, 35 tracks, and it's on one disc, and it's 45 minutes long or something like that. I saw, I never, I obviously never saw the Ramones play, and speaking of the Ramones, there was a, there's a Ramones' Too Tough to Die about Johnny Ramone, a documentary with Nicolas Cage in it, so check that out. Um, but I saw Ramones' cover band at, Coachella a few years ago, and it was just cool because like, we're just walking through, and it was really early in the day, and it was like you know twelve thirty or one o'clock where there's just all bands that nobody's ever heard of, and I just I hear somebody playing the Ramones, and like you just go there, and I was there for ten minutes, and I heard like six Ramones songs, like it's just like there's a certain amount of energy, like even if you don't like pop punk, I think there's something that you 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 can't deny that like it's infectious, and, like you I think you have, you have to understand why people like it, that you know it might not be for you, but you know, like, I don't understand, like, Screamo, for instance. Like, I don't know why, aside from maybe, like, oh, this song so gets me. Like, just, like, there's nothing about the music quality to me that, like, I understand why people would like that. And no offense to you if you like Screamo, I'm not sure. No, uh, not a fan. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think the best kind of pop punk, power pop, whatever you want to call them, bands, are the ones that capture an energy that means something, whether it's about just rock and roll high schooling or... Uh, or being a, a dumb punk kid. Uh, I think that's why they resonate more than like a band like Newfound Glory, which just sang about girls. <laughs> it gets embarrassing to listen to at a certain point. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, the next song, moving on to, uh, from the pop punk invasion to the Spanish invasion, Bailamos by Enrique Iglesias. I don't think I've ever seen this music video. It's... It's a CD video, is maybe the word I want to use for it. I mean, we're going to talk about the Backstreet Boys soon. And the Backstreet Boys, even though they were kind of, uh, and and Nico and I talked about this episode one, even though they were a little older by the time they were getting big, but they were still called boys, they they tried to market them as boys, where it seems like Enrique Iglesias wants to fuck women. (laughs) Like, they're boys, he's a man. And he makes that very clear in this video. How how old was he at this time? I do not know. Um, I know that I would say that uh, in in my own uh, extremely uh, white northeastern uh, knowledge of Enrique Iglesias, it's like he was most famous for having this weird mole on his face and also uh, having sex with Anna Kornikova like forever. They were together for and they might still be together. I don't know. I just remember at a time when Anna Kornikova mattered, his name always came up with her. He uh, he was twenty four. Wow. When this music video came out. He was probably younger than some of the Backstreet Boys at this time. He had received surgery in 2003 to remove the circular mole from his face. Oh. He worried that it become, could become cancerous. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, he, he dated Anna Kornikova from 2001 to 2013. It's and a long time in the celebrity world. And then 2014, uh, media outlets reported they were still together or back together. So they might still be together. Who knows? And he built a $26 million mansion. So that's Enrique Iglesias. I mean, you know, him just, like, creating, like, sexy-ass music in 1999 set him up in multiple ways pretty well. 
Yeah, um, I mean, and I, I'll never say no to, uh, I don't know what the word for it is, I don't know if flamenco is right, but like that Spanish, like nylon strings guitar sound, like yeah. I'll never say no to a solo uh, with the Spanish guitar. Do you know Juanes? Juanes? Um, I think I remember the name from Rock Band. The yeah. yeah, he did uh, Me Enamora, which I'm probably butchering because I don't really speak Spanish. Uh, he's sort of, I guess, more of a modern-day... I guess we can, we'll, we'll compare it later when we get to one of the biggest omissions, which is Little La Vida Loca. You know, that, I feel like both songs are trying to do the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, you look at this hot Latino guy and, like, all these beautiful women, but, like, this one's like, yeah, like, I'm going to fuck to this song, and, like, Little La Vida Loca is just like, okay, I'm just going to dance. Like, it's almost... That's almost more of a defining... You're talking about Backstreet Boys as boys. Like, Ricky Martin's sort of, like, music for kids. Like, this is, like music like to get down to i would almost say like ricky martin appealed to like housewives i feel like that was kind of his market um i don't know why i feel that way uh it might be because he's a cleaner cut enrique iglesias i mean by the most isn't a song about fucking it's a song about dancing mm-hmm. but dancing has always been kind of a, a metaphor for just you know fucking uh, and i feel like that especially carries over in uh, at least Latin imagery, uh, maybe white people using Latin imagery <laughs> is, is that dancing basically equates to, to fucking. So, I mean, it's basically a song about fucking. I think this song of the four that we've talked about so far, I think this is the, the most forgettable. Like, I, don't oh, think wow. I mean, I don't think, like, maybe just for me, like, I mean, All Star is never going to leave my brain. What's my age again? I mean, these are all like massive songs. It's the one that I remember the least of, but it's also the one I think so far is the most listenable to. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I think this is the most earwormy of all of them. I in really earwormy in a good way because I think All Star is probably the most earwormy. But like that's you kill yourself earwormy. Sure, fair enough. Yeah, no, I really like the chorus of the song. I think I think this resonates um, today, even if it's not Enrique Iglesias. I think songs like this, um, these kind of Spanish invasion songs, and we're gonna see over the next couple of now albums. With uh, I mean, we're gonna talk about two artists on this album. Uh, we're gonna have. Oh, what's her name? Shakira coming up. This well, kind of, huge, I had a huge crush on Shakira. Oh yeah, how could you not? This kind of bouncing between like the English and the Spanish lyrics and then re-recording. Uh, I mean, a lot of those songs were re-recorded for American markets to have uh, the American parts. Uh, I think that like, I mean, Pitbull is, is a direct descendant of that kind of stuff. And maybe that's like two years ago. It's not so much right now in 2016. But I mean, that's, that sound, that, that Enrique Iglesias thing is still resonating even up to, you know, 10 years later. You mean Mr. Worldwide? People in Mr. Worldwide? Vale. What's also sort of interesting about, I don't even think it's necessarily, like, I do agree that, you know, with Shakira coming in and Jennifer Lopez going to be huge around this time, this is definitely, you know, the start of, like, a big part of not just, like, Latino music, but, like, mainstream music for white people. But what's also kind of interesting, I think, in this placement on Now 3, is that the first three... Lenny Kravitz is a black man, but, like, it's it's sort of just white rock music, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, you have the whitest band in the history of Smash Mouth, and then you have Lenny Kravitz, and you have Blink-22, and then it's like, all right, we gotta, we gotta mix it up a little bit. Like, we have a lot of, like, white music. Like, let's put in a Latin song. And then, you know, we're gonna have a couple more white songs, and we're gonna have, like, an R&B song. So I feel, I do feel like Now is conscious about trying to stagger things a little bit, which is interesting why later we're gonna get to, like, three songs out of four are R&B. Like, it's just, it's weird. Like, they, it seems like they got lazy as this went on, but you can really tell, I think, at least in the first half of this disc, you know, they had a, they had a reason why they sort of structured things the way they did. So in the future, um, Now is going to go to a very strict format 
of the pop at the very beginning, R&B and hip hop in the middle, and guitar stuff at the end. Uh, right now, they've only really decided on the, the R&B stuff in the middle, um, and it's a little bit more varied, but we're going to see in the future now gets very, break it into chapters almost. They really split up the albums so that the people who are buying it for not the whole album, but for specific parts, will know right where to go. I think it would be better if they put more effort into the track listing. It really feels like they put effort in and just like gave up. They're, I don't like. I don't know. And what's sort of weird is that this is the, this is the epitome of an album you're buying for like a couple songs. That I feel like we're going to get to a song later that I remember buying the album for the one song that's on here and not listening to the rest of the album. So I feel like you know, with that mindset, it doesn't really matter where you put songs because you're not really building an album, but also at the same time, like you have this creative freedom to like, you know, create this new narrative of the like different songs, because it's not like it's like, you don't have to make it like a concept album, but I mean, you can, you can sort of tell a story or like structure in a way that is interesting instead of just like jamming everything in there and just sort of letting it fly, like, like letting the chips fall as they may, which is sort of what they seem to have done. Or at least write out a certain kind of energy. Like, start it off hard, cool down, and then bring it up again. I think maybe that's what they try to do in the future. Related, unrelated question. Did you ever, I mean, you're a little younger than me, so maybe not a mixtape, but maybe burn a CD. Did you ever make uh, a mix for someone you had a crush on? No, I did not. It was definitely, we're going to get to a thing later that I remember, well, I'll just say it now, I guess. When I remember when Little Libby the Loco was on the radio, I felt like every 20 minutes, if you wanted to, you could find it on a radio station. And I remember having a cassette tape and putting it in my dad's stereo and like hunting for the song so I could record the song. And I remember trying to make a mixtape that way. I don't know if I just didn't have the patience for it or was like just missing or whatever, but like I got so frustrated so fast. And it wasn't for anyone. It was just for me. Like, oh, I want to make a tape of like my favorite songs of this time. Like basically creating my own now. And like, I don't even think I got like the full Live and Vida Loca recorded. I think I was like gave up in the middle of that song. I mean, I've made mixtapes just like for friends in general, but I've never like, hey, here's my here's my heart and soul on, you know, 60 minutes of plastic tape. Like, love me. Like, I never I never did that. I, I definitely remember trying to, to pirate the radio as well. And I think DJs got wise to it at a certain point. So I remember I would get really frustrated because they would start the song uh, in the background, but just keep talking right up until the exact moment the lyrics kicked in. Those motherfuckers. Now I've got Elvis Duran on my fucking mixtape. Well, like, as a, as a radio DJ, that's a really cool and important skill to have. But as someone who's trying to, like, you know, pirate radio and make your own mixtape and go, go screw yourself, radio DJs. All right. So we're going to move on to Britney Spears sometimes. sometimes, I sometimes, sometimes I Not the best Britney Spears song. No. All I remember about the song, I, I, this is a video that, like, I remember this music video very, very clearly. I think I probably have every Britney Spears video burned into my brain because I remember just, like, waiting to watch her on TV. I, if you told me, like, before I watched this video, like, describe for me the video for sometimes, I would not have been able to describe. But, like, as soon as I started watching, I'm like, oh, right, the Sailor video. Yeah. Not even necessarily Sailors, but, like, I just, like, this is the Sailor video. It, it's the Dawson's Creek video for me. It's like a bunch of kids in, like, Gap khakis uh, hanging out near a bonfire on a beach. And they're all in white. Uh, it's, it's awful. It's, it's clear that they didn't quite know how they wanted to market 
that have female pop stars. Because, like, Nico and I talked about this in episode one, where with the InSync's and the Backstreet Boys and even the Hansons, even if they were, like, in real life men, they buoyed them up so that to these, you know, emerging girls, they were inoffensive and non-threatening. And that's what, you know, adult women mostly were not buying the Backstreet Boys album. Right. But for someone like Britney Spears, I think they had trouble marketing to both emerging boys and to the girls who were probably more buying the pop albums. So you get one song, like Hit Me Baby One More Time, where she's in a schoolgirl outfit and in like a, like a workout thing in that video. And then here, she's in like a sweater and khakis and talking about how like, baby, all I want is to hold you tight. It's such a weird ping pong. And I mean, I don't blame them. There's no way to, I think, do that correctly. And I think it would take a lot of time for Britney Spears to kind of find her own, her own voice in her music. Well, what's also really creepy about this is that she's 17 when this, midi- when this music video comes out. It's way creepier about the Baby One More Time video. And she was like 16, I think, and that, and like, well, I remember like being in love with her. Although, side, side story for a second, did you and your friends have like a, ever have like, like two sides, like in a Britney versus Christina battle? No, our friend, not a friends thing, but I think we all kind of had a preference. But we what was your also, preference? We were also little, like, we were young boys who were just learning how to jerk off, so we didn't, <laughs> it, it was all fine. Like, all of it was good. Um, musically, uh, at the time, I don't know what I would have picked. I think just, like, pure, like, 12-year-old boy gaze. Yeah. My preference at the time was Christina Aguilera. I remember being Team Christina, and then after, you know, like six months or whatever, realizing that none of this matters and like they're it's all yeah. terrible music, but they're both attractive girls. And then I remember like thinking like a couple of years later, you know, in like the, the roller coasters of their not even careers, just like their lives. Like Britney was, I think, bigger than Christina and then crashed harder than Christina ever did. Yeah. Now is sort of like like I don't know if you've seen pictures of her like lately, but like she's, you know, for like what's she now, thirty four? Like she's like sort of got a bang and bod now. Like she's back. Like she's you know, she's not necessarily making music. I think she's doing, like, her Vegas show. She's doing the Vegas show, yeah. But, like, she's, like, back at, like, you know, beautiful Britney. Like, Christina, I feel like, never necessarily reached the highs that Britney did. Also never really crashed as low. And, like, she was sort of hotter for longer. But now she's just, like, you know, on the voice. And it's just like, oh, okay, whatever. She's just yeah. sort of... Higher highs and lower lows for Britney. And uh, Christina always just kind of... Christina always had the better voice, though, for sure. Uh, yeah. She never needed production. And, and there was a point in Britney Spears' career, and it was kind of when we're talking the lower lows, like the Gimme More era, where she was more machine than human. But I think the best Britney songs are better than the best Christina songs. I don't know how many Christina Aguilera songs I can name. I can probably name three. I, re- I do remember the video for Dirty was like a transcendent experience for me. I, yeah, that, that was... I wonder if she was always kind of following Britney because there was a certain point where Britney does like the I'm a slave for you video where it's just like, oh, she's not. It's just like, she's just sweaty and wearing a snake and surrounded by other dudes. And then Christina just like tried too hard with the dirty video, but she also did the Lady Marmalade video before that. I don't know if I remember that. I remember the song being scandalous because it's all about having a three-way. I don't really, I'm sure I remember the video if I watched it now, but I can't really place that. I remember... The dirty video being like a big experience. I remember the slave for you, and I remember toxic being a very sexy video too. 
Toxic, I mean, that's, when I say, like, her, Britney has more memorable songs, like, Toxic was the one I'm thinking of. That, that is a jam that still holds up. That's a great song, right? Oh, that's, that, I mean, I can't do it. It's such a weird little synth riff, but you know that synth riff. And it's, <laughs> yep, it's, uh, it's a good one. And, uh, no, Britney's good, but this is not a good one. This is, this is, the, this is her seventh heaven period. I, I hate it. It's, I'm also, I don't miss group choreography in music videos. Oh, God, it's so bad. It's embarrassing. I'm trying to see... Okay, so singles... So this is her second single. This was... like So it was Baby One More Time. Yeah. And then... It, okay, and then... Oh, wow. So in 98, the only one that came out was Baby One More Time. That was number one on literally every Billboard chart. Like number, you know, just crazy. And then Sometimes came out. It only went to 21 in the U.S. But that same year, she also put out You Drive Me Crazy, Born mm-hmm. to Make You Happy, and From the Bottom of My Broken Heart. I only know Crazy. Yeah, I don't remember those other two. And then the next year was Oops, I Did It Again. Oh, yeah, of course. I no longer I'm a Slave for You was 2001. Like, she's really never gone too long without putting it. I don't know. Maybe Britney's had, like, lasting power. I just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like she definitely had her moment. Like, this was her moment. This is the beginning of something big. Well, I feel like she started really high with Baby One More Time, and then there was this song. And maybe that goes back to what you were saying about the marketing problems. But, like, I don't know what – I don't like, who is this for? Is this, like, for, like, Christian families? Like, you know, young Christian girls can be like, hey, Mom, like, like look at Britney. Like, she's different. Like, I can buy her album now. Well, like how you were saying, like, you could get away with an album because your parents wouldn't know enough. If you were in, like, some sort of weird seventh heaven family, you could show them this song as a reason to buy Britney Spears' album. But not, not Oops, I Did It Again. Britney, Britney's an enigma. Maybe we should do a Britney podcast. Mm-hmm. No, hard pass. It's Britney, bitch. It's Britney, uh, bitch. All right, uh, so moving on from Britney Spears uh, to more really disposable bubblegum pop is uh, the Backstreet Boys with all My Love is All I Have to Give. Yeah. I talked about it in the first episode. Uh, I don't like the Backstreet Boys. I never have. I think they have one song, and it's the same song, and it's not a good song. I forgot all about this song, and then as soon as I started watching the video, I was like, oh, right, this song. And this video is terrible. The song is bad. In my family, my sister ch- my sister came down firmly on the NSYNC side of things. As someone should. And I think, I don't know if it was out of sort of like friendly, quote-unquote friendly rivalry, but my dad became, he, he started liking the Backstreet Boys, I think sort of to, to bust my sister's balls in a way, and I remember him being like really into them, you know, as much as a you know 45 or 50-year-old man or whatever at that time should have been into Backstreet Boys. Like yes. it, wasn't, it wasn't unhealthy, you know, I'm not going to say what, whatever. Take from that what you will. But I remember him liking them, and my sister liking sync and me being like, oh, I don't like any of this. And I think that the, the best thing that could ever have come from this in terms of staying power is that only one of the ten has any kind of cultural significance today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he's in, Justin Timberlake is in Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping. He's really funny in it. So Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it last night. So it's, it's very good. That's something I want to do. Like, it's Because it's, it's told like a documentary. So it's, it's, I guess it's like a mockumentary. I guess that's sort of how it's classified. But, you is know, it a straight up like a parody of the Justin Bieber uh, documentary where like he'll do his, uh, from what I understand, uh, that's like him doing his, his tour and then it'll cut to him like the real life of Justin Bieber. I'm just a Bieber. I'm just a guy, kid hanging out. But the, I guess that this is definitely, like, was that, is that Never Say Never? Uh, oh, sure. Really? 
I never saw that. Don't think I ever will. We can also do Beaver Club. Yeah. Um, but wait, what is Beaver Club going to be? It's going to be this and uh, what was that movie that just came out where he gets murdered at the beginning? Oh, that's what's it called? The, the Zoolander Two. Oh yeah, so you got two. You got two movies for Beaver Club. And we could do his Comedy Central roast as well. Oh God, I hate those things. Uh, yeah, they're not great. They're sort of what. They're worth watching almost just to see like the the comedians, not the not the celebrities, but the comedians that Comedy Central focuses or highlights. You know, for a while it was like Natasha Leggero and Moshe Kasher and stuff like that. Beyond that, they are just pretty much terrible. Yeah, they're dire. Justin Timberlake, it's it's crazy that like in this time period where you have like Britney and Christina and like five Backstreet Boys and five in sync, however many in ninety eight degrees, which we'll get to later, and like to think out of like all say fifteen or twenty of them, like one of them has talent. I mean, I'm sure some of them have talent. It's just, it became a Royal Rumble after that when they all start having solo careers. You know, Highlander, man, they're the only ones going to survive that. <laughs> Backstreet Boys always kind of focused on Nick Carter. InSync always was kind of the Justin Timberlake show. As we'll see, 98 Degrees is kind of the Jessica Simpson's husband show. Yeah. And, I mean, Justin Timberlake just kind of took that ball and he ran hard with that. Backstreet Boys, none of them, I really don't like looking at Nick Carter. I don't know what it is, but he gets up in this camera during this video, and I, ugh, I don't like looking at him. There's so much, in not only this video, but a lot of these videos, there's a lot of just, like, mugging for the camera, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, like, again, I guess it must be, like, the image that they're selling, but also at times feels like, oh, I'm going to, like, become bigger than the band, and so I'm going to get my face close to the camera. Sort yeah, there, there always has to be, in the back of these guys' minds, like, solo career. It's starting, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to be the one who gets out of the starting gate faster than everybody else. I don't know. I mean, I, I, they're all reunited now. Instincts, I think, the only one that hasn't stooped to a reunion tour, probably because they can't get Justin. That's probably true. Although, if they, if they reunited, it would be bigger than anything else, just because of Justin. Absolutely. This is also the first video on this disc that is difficult to get through. There's one point where they're all in suits with no shirt on, and they all have, like, the same hat in different colors, and they're all doing, like, yeah. this dance move. And I just, like, I just, like, looked down and just did not look up for us. Like, I'm like, I can't, I can't do, like, I don't know. This is a question we've asked a couple times. I don't know who this is for. It's for young girls, uh, and that's, that's is it. it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's, we talk about how, like, they have to be, they're very non-sexual, non-threatening. But, I mean, this song is, like, of many that are on here, it's a real, like, nice guy anthem. Um, and I mean that in the most disparaging, like, nice guy, friend zone that none of those are actual real things the way possible. I'll be here when your boyfriend, who I don't like, makes you feel bad. Like, <laughs> this idea that he's a piece of shit because I'm so in love with you and creeping on you from the background and being there as your friend who just really wants to have sex with you kind of way. It's a gross song. Um, but it's also... To a, to a young girl who doesn't get that yet, it's a romantic song. This song stops being cute and starts being creepy probably when you, probably when you have that first guy who you think is your friend who comes out and says, I'm in love with you, I want to have sex with you. But, you know, his love is all that he has to give. And without, without you, he doesn't think he can live. <sighs> and if he could give the world to you, he would, but he can't. And his love is all that he has to give. They've got a bunch of slowly opening their arms as a dance move. That's what the Backstreet Boys have. There's a lot of weird dance moves in these music videos that, like, aren't really moves. They're just sort of, like, choreographed gestures. They're like, yeah. 
it's just like an action. It's not like a, it's not rhythmic. It's, it's nothing. It's just sort of, because there's no way that all five of them in any of these bands could dance. And so they like, so sort of have to like choreograph to the lowest common denominator. Like I can just imagine like how frustrating that would be for like Justin Timberlake to be like, you know, in a couple of years I'm gonna do Sexy Back. Like I'm gonna do all these different songs where like I'm just gonna bust a move on a music video. And for, I have to like, now I have to like stoop to the level of like J.C. Chazé or yeah. what, you know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't do this for too much longer. Why can't you get the choreography to own? <laughs> it's uh, it's not a great great video. I, I also was grossed out by their like palette swaps, smooth criminal, Mortal Kombat <sighs> kind of. Yeah. It's like if you can if you don't watch the video, those of you who are listening, like imagine a Michael Jackson smooth criminal getup but with an open shirt, but underneath it they've got a shirt like of just different colors. So like yeah. you got Sub Zero, Scorpion, then you've got like. The other reptile, yeah, reptile. reptile noob cybot and all, all of this, just the, the same thing palette swapped all the way down the line. And it's just, and they're just mugging to the camera and talking about how nice they are. And it's, it's uh, I don't like that. And just the whitest of the white guys you could possibly imagine. Not, not a, not a, I don't like looking at Nick Carter. And then the guy with the big, like uh, the two earrings in his ear, he's apparently the oldest one I learned uh, from Nico on the first episode. <laughs> And I feel bad for that guy more than anything else because he's the one who looks like he should not be in a band that has to do with boys anymore. He's the one who should be singing the Vilamoses and things like that. When you're looking at it now, it's like, oh, no, this, this dad's out of place. Well, I wouldn't feel too bad for him because there was probably a three or four year stretch where, you know, just, just a runoff tale from Nick Carter, just, you know, got him through whatever. There's nothing to really be sad about for them. Like, even no. if it's not necessarily what they wanted to do, if they were smart with their money... They're set for life just because of like, oh yeah. But that guy was married by this point. So, oh yeah, they probably a mistake. But I mean, good for him. But I mean, if you got to be in this band that's touring as women are throwing themselves at you, you being the old guy who's married has to be kind of like. <laughs> All right. Well, we've we've waxed uh, nostalgic on uh, Britney's and Blinks and BSBs. Uh, I feel like we're gonna end up kind of uh, kind of kicking it up a gear and flying through a couple of these uh, these flyover tracks. I guess you'd call them. This is the Iowa of now three. Yeah. Uh, Casey and JoJo, tell me it's real. And this is like, um, if you remember from uh, from episode one, Casey and JoJo's All My Life, that's a great song. Yeah. And it's a little bit uh, crafted, artfully designed to be like a first dance at a wedding song. It doesn't hold up super well. It's a little sappy. Uh, this is just like the worst sequel to that. I don't remember this song or this video. And I was sort of hoping when I saw Casey and Jojo on here, I was hoping it was all my life. I forgot that it was on episode one. I think the bottom line is that this song is, whether it's real or artificial or what, it's just way too sexy for where I am in my life. (laughs) A lot of these R&B songs, like what's weird about, I guess, not only popular culture, but like specifically about now is that they're picking these songs for this album that like, okay, the first one's like a bunch of songs like 10 or 12-year-old kids like me are going to be super into. And then all of a sudden you like just throw this like sexy song that like people don't really necessarily know, which is like, who is this? Like, not, I know who this song is for, but like, who is this for on this album? Like, why does this exist on this album? Uh, well, uh, demographics, I think. I mean, me and Nico kind of talked about this in episode one where it's just like, they try to cover every base they possibly can. They try to really cast a wide net and on some tracks that even involves like the parents of the people who would listen to this album primarily it's not like r&b 
wasn't a market in 1999. It's just we were young white kids from New Jersey and we <laughs> weren't exposed to it. I mean, that's really what it is. If it didn't creep over into top 40, I mean, I'm, tell me it's real. Might have been. And a couple of the songs later that I've definitely never heard of could have been huge, but uh, not to me at the time. And that doesn't, uh, that's not the reason I'm discrediting them at all. Uh, in fact, one of the songs that I'm going to talk about that I've never heard until right now, uh, later on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's great. But tell me it's real is just uh, it's just like the, the bad sequel to uh, to all my life. It's the Austin Powers two to uh, the Austin Powers <laughs> all my life. It's not that great. Casey and JoJo are great at harmonizing, uh, and they do that throughout the entire song, so that's cool. They they know how to make like even though they're not making good music, they know how to make music sound good, yeah. which I think is probably like a marketable skill. This song and then several of the R and B songs that we have coming up later made me wonder. Was there a black MTV? And I realized that that was BET. And so I looked into the history of BET, and it started in 1980 as apparently a program block on Nickelodeon. I don't know what that means or how that happened or how that came about. Did Nickelodeon exist in 1980? According to Wikipedia, it did. Well, it can't be wrong if it's on Wikipedia. Can't be wrong. And then three years later, in 1983, it became a 24-hour TV channel. And so that, you know, it went from just being like maybe a couple hours a day into its whole thing. But then I think really, even though we're close to this, this sort of turning point that I'm about to say that happened in 2001, um, I think that at this time, BET was still not necessarily like MTV maybe. I don't know what it was because it's never been a channel that I watched. But in 2001... Viacom purchased it from this guy, Robert L. Johnson, who was the owner of the, like, the programmer or whatever. So I think 2001 is probably when BET became the BET that we know it as. And so maybe in 99, they're just, I don't know where these songs exist because I don't remember them being on TRL or anything. You know what I mean? I don't know them. I don't remember them being necessarily on MTV. No. Maybe I mean, I'm sure there was a, a Hot 97 equivalent radio station uh, that was broadcasting from New York to the Tri-State area that we just we just bited our way past it. I mean, <laughs> and I'm not, I mean, it, it's just 12 year old, 10 year old white kids would probably wouldn't have listened to it unless they had influences around them that, that introduced them to it. And I mean, Nick fucking schooled me all about some of that stuff uh, on episode one. Uh, he did have that, that background. And uh, I mean, there's definitely, I think I'm a, I'm the kind of person who says there's oh, man, two, two things people can say that uh, will immediately make me not like them. One is, well, why isn't there a white entertainment television? <laughs> that person can go fuck themselves. And two, people who say, I like everything but rap and country right. uh, can also go fuck themselves. What's crazy to me, and that, like, those, I've never heard anybody say the first one, which thank God I've never heard them say it, the first one say the first one, because that just sounds like the worst person imaginable. But I've heard so many people say, I like everything but rap and country, or like, can't spell crap without rap. <laughs> That kind of mentality is the same thing that, like, boggles my mind when people are like, oh, I just don't like sports. It's like, okay, like, I understand, like, you might not want to watch sports, but, like, you can't, like, it's, that's just like saying, like, I don't like music or I don't like movies. Like, there's no way, I don't think, personally, that you can just discredit an entire sector of entertainment. Right. And, like, whether you're talking about, like, sports as a whole or music as a whole or within the world, I just, I don't like rap. Well, like, you probably don't like, you know, gangster rap, but like maybe you like Chance the Rap. Like, I don't know. You know. There's so many different kinds of everything. I'm like, I don't like a lot of country, but there's some country that's like amazing. Like, 
you know, it's so hard to just sit like you know, just I mean, it's not hard. It's actually the opposite. It's so easy to discriminate against everything that's out there, but it's just it's stupid. Yeah, I think it, people who say that are people who are just fully admitting that they haven't bothered to look into any of that, and really, that's more what they should say is like, I've never really dabbled in uh, in, in rap or country. It's just. Uh, like Onan's, like it's not really my thing. Like, but it, this, the fact that there's nothing out there for you is is objectively wrong. Like, you would find something if you looked into it. It's kind of like a oh yeah, grandma's racist kind of thing. <laughs> you can almost like it's not right, but you can kind of excuse it from older people who just like they didn't grow up with with rap. Maybe like I'm not gonna expect my dad to find a Kanye song he likes. But for people our age, just discredit a whole genre of music. Though I'm gonna do that with the next song. <laughs> I think it's it's a shitty thing to do, and we just it just sucks that we. There's probably some really good '90s R&B. My girlfriend introduced me to uh, the song "Pony" by Genuine uh, within the last year, and fuck yeah. that song rules. Wait, didn't you watch Parks and Rec? Yeah, but I don't remember that song. I think the first time I actually experienced that song was Magic Mike, and then she was like, "Oh yeah, Pony," and I was like, "No, I don't think I know that." And now I know that. Okay, so me and Pony have a. I don't want to say we have a history, but like on Parks and Rec. Donna's cousin is genuine, and he comes to perform. He performs Pony um, at the Little Sebastian. I, I think he performs at the Little Sebastian Festival or whatever. Oh um, yeah! It's also in Magic Mike, which I still haven't seen the first Magic Mike. I've seen the second Magic Mike, where they sort of reprise Pony a little bit. One night when I was just around Austin, I was just like, I'm going to go to every bar and I'm going to make sure that Pony plays. And so whether there's a jukebox or there's like a I tipped one DJ five bucks. I'm like, play Pony next. He's like, all right. And so like five or six bars in a row, I Pony play. Like Pony is a song that even if you don't know it, you love it. Like, I don't think there's, like, I don't know if that's necessarily like, a, no, that's, that's not true. It's a good song. Like, it's a great song. I'm bummed that there's, there's going to be genuine songs on nows that aren't Pony, and that makes me a little sad. But I'm excited to dabble more into genuine. Maybe there's some good stuff there that I just, I haven't heard. I mean, Pony's great, so came out in 96. There's also, a, there's also a really great figure skating routine to Stop Pony. It. Stop it. Evgeny Plushenko, who is this Russian guy who every every time there's the Winter Olympics on, like every time the Olympics run at all, I become obsessed with the Olympics. But I love the Winter Olympics more than the Summer Olympics. And figure skating, I think, you know, as, I don't, I don't think it's effeminate. Like, figure skating is just, I think it's just beautiful. Like, I think it's my favorite of any of the Olympic sports. And the Russians like kick our ass out, and it's fine because they're incredible at it. But this guy, Evgeny Plushenko, skated to Pony, and he had this like fake buff body on, like sort of like you know, like a Halloween costume, like a little kid would wear, like looked like Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he's wearing that and skating like quote unquote shirtless to Pony, and it's incredible. That is going straight into the show notes, so you guys can look for that below. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna send this to you now, so you can see what I'm talking about. It is. So, so good. Pony is a song that, like, has this, like, it's not mystique about it, but, like, when Pony comes on, like, there's one thing that's going to happen. Like, it's just, it's just, it's sex in a song. It's just great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good song. And this has been uh, 30-year-old white guys defending the fact they don't know this Casey and JoJo song. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, go out of your way to find the song. Just find all my life. It's better. Next song is uh, Rockefeller Skank by Fatboy Slim. And here's what I'm going to say. I really don't like the whole genre of music. 8 to 16 looping bars of the same background music and a sample 
for four minutes. And there's a lot of that. It's mostly the fat boy slim genre. I, I'm aware that it can be good uh, because I like the song Around the World by Daft Punk, but this sucks. This is another one on this list of like the band, like not the music video that I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be Weapon of Choice because I wanted to see Christopher Walken dancing around in the air for a while. And instead we just get this like weird, it's sort of like Breaking Bad minus meth and evil or just like Pulp Fiction without any kind of flair or substance. Like, yeah. It's like a black dude with a hawk, like a, with, a, with an afro that kind of looks like Jules. All the girls seem to have, or at least one of the girls seems to have like a, a Mia Wallace haircut. And I'm like, oh, like this is probably like, you know, Fatboy Slim or whoever shot this video trying to emulate Pulp Fiction or just sort of like have like this artsy movie quality. And it's just. I mean, I don't think, I don't know if Weapon of Choice is a good song, but, like, that video is incredible just because it's Christopher Walken dancing around, like, like flying and dancing. Like, it's great. This is just, like, people walking around doing weird things. Yeah, all these songs, to me, are car commercial music because it's 30 seconds of something that will catch your attention, uh, which is great for a commercial about cars, but uh, it's not something, I don't understand how a human could listen to this for four minutes. We both did, though. I mean, I listened to the whole nope, thing. I skipped it. At, did uh, you really? Once it got to about the third minute, I was like, man, next. Oh, man, do you remember MTV's Next? I just remembered that. No? It was a dating show? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Fatboy Slim. Cool job. Good job. That, that's genre of music that just, like, sampled-based. Same thing for three minutes. I, I, I get it by the first 45 seconds, so why am I going to... Well, I'm an old man now. Why am I going to waste my time listening to the same sample again? And, like, like I said, I think it can be done objectively well. Like, I, I don't love Daft Punk. Uh, but I recognize that they're probably the one of the best at what they do. Sure, absolutely. I think that this song, I don't want to want this in with Daft Punk. I think that's a separate conversation to have. But I think this song is catchy and like it's easy to like it unless you think about it. And then if you think about it, it's just like, oh, there's nothing here. Well, that's why it's a car commercial song. If you're just like listening to it in the background, like I think I could, I I could be convinced that I like the song. I think I don't think it's a good song, but I think I could be convinced that I like it. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't want to actively listen to it, but it's also one of those things that, like, you know, if, if I listen to it once every couple months or once every year or whatever, like, oh, yeah, I like that song, and then that's it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't think I would, like, if I had to be listening to this, like, twice a day, like, that's a lot. I bet there's a lot of retail workers in 1999 who heard oh, this song. Oh, God, these poor people. Yeah. Uh, how about Limp Bizkit and Nookie? This was a song... I think I liked it back in the day. I know for a fact that that's true, but I was dumb. <laughs> I remember the kid who hated the most in middle school was this kid who thought he was like, he was one of the popular kids, but he also thought he was like hotter shit than he was. And I remember he loved Limp Biscuit and loved this and bought a red Yankee hat, which is blasphemous to the point of no return. Like that's just atrocious um, as a Yankee fan. It's just, just horrible. Uh, and, you know, the puffy jacket and everything. And I remember he liked it, and so he was definitely, like, the cool thing to do to like this song, and so I sort of liked it in that regard, but I also hated it. Oh, man, I think this is probably, of all the songs on this album, I think this is probably the biggest of the, like, this song was, like, massive, wasn't it? Chart-wise, no. But I think, again, the fact that we came from suburban Whiteville um, made it possibly the biggest song in our own little cultural zeitgeist. Um, it wasn't like a massive uh, billboard. I think it was in the top 100, but it wasn't, you know, three. Like I said, 
we were coming to this point where we had to pick a road. And if we wanted to like guitar based stuff that was easily accessible, you had to go family value store or you had to go pop punk. Memphis gets a band where I know this song and I know Roland and I mostly know Roland because it was the intro song, I think on NHL hits 2002 or 2003. Oh, see, I was going to say it was the intro song for The Undertaker for a while. That's how I knew it. It was on one of the NHL hits. It was that, and then it was um, Bombshell by Power Man 5000. Like, those were two. Like, the NHL hits games are incredible. Like, even if you don't like hockey or sports games or video games, like, those are just great games. And I remember one, like, Roland was like, they had like, this really cool, because one thing that sports games and sports in general has always done well it's put together, like, great highlight packages for those kind of games. Yeah. And so it was just, like, this, like, incredible action hockey montage to open the game of, like, people just, like, getting, like, goalies getting laid out and just, like, huge hits and stuff like that set to roll in. But the long story short, bringing it back to, like, why I brought that up, I feel like Limp Bizkit is a band that, like, is arguably, like, one of the biggest bands, at least in our suburban white world, I don't know a third song from. Like, it's, it's Roland and it's Nookie. I mean, I can't think of a third. I talked about what my prerequisites for a decent cover are. Right. I think their cover of Faith, the George Michael song, is not good, but it, it, it hits both of those to the point where I acknowledge it being an okay cover, if not a great song. I have one, like, one of my best friends in the world loves covers. And I, I don't think... I think he's just he's just like fascinated by the possibilities that covers allow you to create. So there's this band called Karma Doza that did an entire album of B fifty two covers. And it's like they're sort of like I, I don't know how to like it's just sort of like hard rock kind of or like it's it's not like if, if their music was original music, I wouldn't listen to it. But because it's all like B fifty two songs, which are all great, it's like this really interesting sort of like cross section. I have another friend who was in a metal band in college, and he said, he explained to me, when I asked him, like, if, if they were ever going to cover something, he said that their band, it's sort of like what you said, like, their band only covers two types of songs. Number one, it's songs that, like, are sort of, like, mainstays, like, staples in the genres that they just, like, want to play. Or the second one is, like, songs that are so off-base for, like, what they're known for that it's, like, a surprise. So, like, you know, them covering like a Miley Cyrus song or something, just because like it's so out of their wheelhouse that to hear their take on it would be like, even if it's not good, or even if the song they're covering is not good or whatever, it's worth listening to. And so I agree. Like, I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard their cover of Faith. Um, Faith is a great song. And now I sort of want to hear what they did with it. It's got a lot of uh, uh, yelling and that guy and uh, Fred Durst like, horribly kind of singing, like that kind of thing going on there um, that I really don't like. They do, they do something. I don't think I know enough Wes Borland to say he's like an interesting musician, but I think he's probably a guy who knows how to put together a decent couple of chords in a way that, that works. Is he the guy with the big black uh, contact lenses? Sure is, yep. Love him. <laughs> is this the start of frat boy rock? It might be. It's definitely the start of like frat boy imagery. Like mm. it's as stupid as this looks now. Like they like they sort of invented this look and like defined it as cool. You know what I mean? Like it's just like it the puffy jacket and the red hat like turned backwards. It's like douchey, but like it was it was cool. And like what I, I don't think I ever realized. Like I must have seen this music video or like half watched it like fifty or hundred times. 
I don't think I ever watched it until today where I realized they're just depicting Fred Durst's animal magnetism. Like, he's just walking down the street, sort of, you know, new metal rapping, and literally girls are getting out of their cars to walk behind him, like, coming out of their apartment buildings. It's basically saying, you know, if you dress like this and sound like this, you're going to get all these girls, too. It's weird. Fred Durst is, uh, and we talked in the last episode about corn, and that, like, appealed to, like, the the outcast kids more that wanted guitar music, and I can kind of get that. But even at the time, Fred Durst just seemed like such a fake to me. Like, he seemed like he was doing this, this tough guy posturing that even when I was a young kid, never rang true. I mean, even in the lyrics of this song, like, saying, like, oh, yeah, I just did it all for the sex, man. Like, that's the thing you would say to, like, your bros to save face about the fact you're really upset about this breakup. And the, <laughs> the end of the video where he gets arrested in what's clearly not a real arrest, like, by the NYPD, like, so that he could get, like, some tough guy cred. Everything about Fred Durst seems like uh, bullshit, like, chest-puffing posturing. I remember at the time, he even, like, he leaked, like, rumors. Like, he just invented rumors that he would say in interviews that he, like, dated Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. It's like, dude, no, you didn't. No, Fred Durst. That never happened. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that, like, he had sex with one or more of them. Like, like, like way the fuck out of the realm of possibility. You don't think that, like, them in some kind of weird, like, let's be a bad girl. Ugh, I, I don't no. want to think about it. I think they were so micromanaged that there's no way that ever would have happened. I don't want to give Fred Durst any credit here. But I don't want to give, like, Brittany and Christine the benefit of the doubt of, like, you know, they're, they're being manipulated to sell this image. I think that there's a distinct possibility that, like, Fred Durst was done the same service or just, you know what I mean? Like, I think that he probably wanted to, on some level, create this or this personality. But I feel like at some point, you know, whether it's before this video, or I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like they, they were also constructed to fit this, like, other, this, like, other narrative. Yeah, and it's the, the douchebag Fred kid. Yeah. Even though Fred Durst looks like a 35-year-old fucking doughy idiot. Who would be the king of the land of cargo shorts? This guy or the guy from Smash Mouth? Oh, man. I don't think Fred Durst is the king of anything. <laughs> I don't remember who it was. But there's something... I remember somebody talking about, like, can you imagine Marilyn Manson at 50 and just, like, you know, still trying to do the same thing that he was doing? Like, Fred Durst now is 45. Like, what... Like, like what are you like? What are you doing as a person? Isn't that isn't Marilyn Manson at seventy just Alice Cooper? Yeah, that's fair. What do you think of the the Limp Biscuit dance crew that he had in the uh, the girls in the backwards red caps and the black tank tops and the tacky UFOs doing the crotch grabs? It's all just like it's it's just all terrible. Like none of it is like now. Ah. I feel like in the time it was all like, oh, this is cool. At least I thought it was cool. But now it's just like, oh, none of this is even like remotely like clicking on any level. Oh, we were talking about covers. You want to hear uh, something that will make you hate Limp Bizkit forever? Listen to, their, listen to their cover of Behind Blue Eyes. Oh. Yeah. I, might have, I might have heard that. I think I've heard that. It's whether it's whether what's in my brain is what I've actually heard or just like me imagining what that sounds like I already yeah were you old enough to catch the wave of like Jenkos and UFOs and stuff like that or were you a little too young I don't know what UFO what are UFOs they were like Jenkos but they were like big fluffy parachute pants almost 
I think it's what the it's something like what the girls in the video are wearing. I don't remember that. I remember Jenkos. I remember soap shoes. Did those have like bottoms on them and kids thought that they could like do skateboarding grinds on them? You could grind, yeah, like on like the like down the down the down the hallways in schools on like the where like the window met the floor, there was like a little like six inch like protrusion or whatever. And people could sort of like jump and like slide along it. Yeah. I I never had those and like it was basically the only people who had those, the only people who wore Jankos were the people who liked Limp Biscuit. And like it wasn't necessarily like they weren't doing it I don't think that they were wearing those jeans and wearing soap shoes because of like Limp Biscuit. I think that all just like fit into the same kind of world. Like, they also like dirt bikes. You know, it's just those kind of kids. Sure. Are we in agreement that uh no one should revisit the world of the biscuit? Yeah, no, don't go back. I uh, I <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but, like, as terrible as it is, I kind of like the fact that they have an album called Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water because it's the dumbest sentence that's ever been uttered, and that's the name of their album. Yeah. That's commitment to the, the worst ideal. I mean, have I been wrong all these years thinking that that's just, like, I don't want to call it a sex reference, but, like, a... It's butt, isn't it butt sex? Isn't, it, isn't that just butt and... and, 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 and ex- late excretions from ladies. I don't even know how to say that without sounding like a disgusting piece of shit. Fuck you. Female, female ejaculate? Sure. I guess. I don't know. I mean, chocolate starfish, obvious butthole, hot dog flavored water, but like, that doesn't make sense. Well, it's like, oh, I'm not even going to try to explain it because barf, but uh, <laughs> I hate Limp Biscuit. It's fair. It's, uh, good. it's good then that the worst, the most despicable band on this album is backed back with the only band on this list at all that is relevant today. Um, and like my favorite by far, the only band I would be like, you know, I would admit that I like, and I do generally like Garbage with Special is next. I love Garbage. At least of their first maybe four albums. I haven't really listened to them recently. They just put out a new album that supposedly the AV Club gave an A minus to. So oh, wow. they're 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 back apparently in a big way. Um, this is like a, this is like a video with a narrative. Yeah, you know when I was watching this video, I for some reason I thought this was I, my memory had the the video for the world is not enough being the one where she's flying a plane and shooting people. Clearly, that's not correct. So I've kind of forgotten the song or blended it in with something else. Uh, and as I've mentioned previously, I think Shirley Manson is the reason that I started to, to move away from having crushes on uh, like the Britney S girls and having crushes on like the Feruza Balks of the world. Sure. I mean, Feruza Balk is, whew. Oh, in the craft. Uh, but also Shirley Manson, like I, I messaged you this morning when I was watching these videos and I was like, oh, we're going to talk about how, like, I don't, actively think about Shirley Manson. But like every time I think about her or see her like in a music video or whatever, or just like listen to her sing, I was like, oh, I'm completely in love with Shirley Manson. Like she's amazing. She's got a great voice. She's super cute. In like that both like in just sort of like a traditional way, but like also in an alt way. I mean, garbage is just great. Like in this song, you know, it's just it's not one of my favorite songs of theirs, but it's a good song. I don't remember it being a huge hit, but I also feel like it was probably like, was this in, like, an Adam Sandler movie? I don't know. Um, she's, I don't think she's a fantastic lyricist, but I think that the band crafts songs 
and her voice carries so well, and she has such a character in her voice that it doesn't matter. Let me see here. I want to look up. Hold on. Special. So special's been in a bunch of stuff. It's been in, it was in Dawson's one episode of Dawson's Creek because of course it was. Well, what wasn't? It was never. It was in a bunch of TV shows that I haven't heard of. Some show called The Leaks. No. I don't know. Oh yeah, when I grow up was in Big Daddy. Oh, that makes sense. I guess the, the big thing I want to point about the song, though, is that the music video ends with it to be continued. Yeah. Was it ever continued? I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm thinking of, maybe they did continue it with their, the World's Not Enough video. I don't know. That was, so the World's Not Enough, that was actually, that was the theme song for the Bond movie? Like, that, yeah. that made it? Yeah, and in my head, the, the video for that was her flying a plane. I, I don't think that's correct. Um, I, yeah, this, I just, I just didn't remember the song until I listened to it, and, and then, yeah, it all came back. What's weird about Garbage, I think, maybe not weird, but like this is how sort of shut off to the world I was. A few years ago, I was talking to somebody and they were like, what, what's the first like major news event that you remember? And somehow, I guess just like how protected I was, I do not remember any reports of Kirk Cobain killing himself. I don't remember anything about OJ. The first thing I remember being on TV of, like, breaking news was Princess Diana dying. But, like, I was so shut off to the world that, like, I didn't know about Nirvana to any really great extent until, like, college, which is, which is crazy. That's crazy, right? It is crazy. I remember all three of those things very vividly. Maybe, I, I mean, maybe it's just, if you're, like, two years older than me, then it makes sense. Like, when did Princess Diana die? Was that 95? Um... I remember that night very well because my friend was sleeping in my house. So it 97. Was, I was going to say sixth, sixth grade-ish, which, yeah, I would put it 96, 97. August 31st, 97. I remember that. I remember stuff before that. Like, I remember sporting events, sort of, for some reason, like Yankees, Braves, World Series in 96. I remember Magic Rockets NBA Championship in 96. I don't know. I mean, it just, we lived in, like, a bubble like I was like so which I guess is good because I was like not corrupted by the world maybe but like I was so shut off to so much stuff like I feel like I missed out on a lot of things I feel like I remember seeing in supermarkets like OJ stuff on tabloids but I don't like just because that trial was so like you couldn't escape the trial like I don't remember anything about Nirvana and so like I wish I did but I just don't I remember his the, the suicide more than the music. I don't think I was old enough to appreciate the music until uh, until Nirvana was done. I honestly don't remember when I sort of first listened to Nirvana. My, my, my history with music is weird. Something I'm impressed about with Shirley Manson, and uh, this video casts her as the protagonist and the rest of the bandmates as, like, the villains. <laughs> and a lot of videos that have bands that have a female lead singer and a bunch of dudes do this occasionally. There's a Paramore video that does it. Uh, no Doubt's ex-girlfriend does it. So it, the idea of casting the beautiful female lead singer against the band was always weird to me, even at a young age. And because of that, it always kind of surprises me that Shirley Manson never pulled a Gwen Stefani and just went solo. I think she could have. I think it's cool that she didn't. This is stupid, but do you think any of that had to do with Marilyn Manson? Just like the fact they shared a name? I don't think that's that stupid. I don't know if that's the reason, but I don't... I think there might be some merit to that. Or maybe she's just not, like, ego-driven. Like, to really go from a band to 
solo artist, you need to either be confident or cocky to the point where you can, where you say what I could do by myself is better than what this group collectively could do. That's to me, that's cool. And like I said, she was never, uh, and I don't know if she writes the lyrics for garbage. I'm not as intimately familiar with them as other bands, uh, but I never thought garbage had, like I said, they never had the best lyrics, but there was always everything else that made up for it. And maybe she was aware of that in some way. And I don't know. I, I appreciate the fact that Shirley Manson always stayed with her, her group of, of dumb bandmates uh, <laughs> as opposed to, to letting them clean their cleaner pool, like I assume No Doubt is doing. The rest of those guys have probably... Whatever happened to the trumpet players in No Doubt from when they were ska, like they're just buried somewhere. Rest in peace. Big thanks to Joey for coming out and recording episode three way back when. You can find more of Joey and myself over at cageclub.me, and you can check out Keanu Club, Cage Club, and Zack Attack, and Monkey Club, all on anywhere you would find podcasts. You can give us a like and subscribe and a rate and all of that good stuff on iTunes. We're at Twitter, now again podcast, right into the mailbag, now and again podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your opinions on the show. And if you like what you've heard and you know someone who you think would be into it, Tell a friend. It's one of the biggest things you can do for the show is just passing it on, paying it forward. We'll be back next time with Side B, and until then, we'll catch you on the flip side. This is-